And here we go. Hello, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Now, let's jump right in to the biggest news story of the day. Let's see. At the New York Times, the big, big part of the top of the page, Nancy Pelosi's arrival in Taiwan draws China's condemnation. Uh, The big, big story of the day at the Washington Post. Pelosi lands in Taiwan defying Chinese warnings of forceful response. CNN, what's motivating Pelosi to visit Taiwan? In the way their columns are are arranged right next to that, U.S. sanctions, Putin's uh, reputed girlfriend, and video, why Trump endorsed two candidates in the same race. NBC News, the big story to the left at the top of their page. Justice Department sues Idaho over abortion ban and first post-Roe litigation. Then Pelosi makes historic visit to Taiwan, escalating tensions with China. ABC News. In the middle, big, big picture. China to surround Taiwan for military drills in response to Pelosi's trip. To the right of that, uh, The National Security Council's John Kirby taking questions from reporters. In small text and smaller boxes, uh, you have to scroll down a little bit to find it on the New York Times page. It's below the Pelosi bit, and to the right of Pelosi is a box that says, Pickle is summer's big flavor. You've got to scroll down to find the killing of the uh, of Iman al-Zawahri. Got to scroll down to find it. You at the Washington Post have to scroll down to find Taliban is facing backlash after U.S. drone strike kills uh, uh, al-Qaeda leader. At CNN, just below U.S. sanctions Putin's reputed girlfriend, Images show Kabul House, where Al-Qaeda chief was killed by U.S. strike. On NBC News, Justice Department sues Idaho, Pelosi in a smaller box to the right of that, and then Ayman al-Zawahri is to the far right of that page. On ABC News, you have to scroll down to see a picture of the Al-Qaeda leader. It is in small text in the upper left corner in a stack of headlines you're likely going to skim over because there's a picture of Nancy Pelosi right in the middle. Now, why am I saying all of this? The Biden administration wants you, or as of last night, wanted you to really be aware that Joe Biden ordered the killing of the number two guy in Al-Qaeda. One of the top men responsible for planning 9-11. The Biden administration wanted that to be the focal point of the night until, until Republicans started asking questions and conservative media and Fox News started asking questions. Namely, wait, you said you killed this guy in Afghanistan, but you, you, you told us, Mr. Biden, that the Talib, that you had, you had struck a deal with the Taliban 
You would negotiate with them, and they would not be allowing al-Qaeda back into Afghanistan. And all of a sudden, all the media is jumping all over, switching the story to Nancy Pelosi in Taiwan. Now, granted, yes, I did talk for two days about Nancy Pelosi flying to Taiwan and going and visiting and how important that is. And yes, it is newsworthy that Nancy Pelosi is the highest ranking U.S. official to visit Taiwan in 25 years. But the Biden administration had a win here. They took out the number two guy in Al-Qaeda. They took out the guy who helped organize and orchestrate the 9-11 terror attacks. What changed? Why is that no longer the big story? Well, from Fox News. Details surrounding the United States killing of Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawari raises new questions, Representative Mike Waltz, a former Special Forces officer who served in Afghanistan, told Fox News. The U.S. killed Zawahri in a drone strike in Afghanistan over the weekend. President Biden announced on Monday night, al-Zawahri took control over al-Qaeda after Osama bin Laden was killed. Number one, what was the leader of al-Qaeda doing in Kabul, Waltz asked. And from what I'm hearing from a number of folks, both in Afghanistan and in the intelligence community, he's been there for some time. So what did the Taliban promise him? The Taliban had promised Joe Biden that al-Qaeda would not get a foothold in the country. And here we are with the second in command after Osama bin Laden, now the guy in charge of al-Qaeda, living in a an opulent house in Kabul, in a neighborhood that's normally reserved for high-ranking government officials in Kabul. Why is Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan? This, incidentally, just this time last year, Joe Biden ordered the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. And it fell in three days to the Taliban. After the Biden administration told us, told us that there was no way, there was no evidence that the Taliban would be making a resurgence. There was no way they could easily take the country back over. Against the urging of all of his advisors, Joe Biden withdrew all U.S. military from Afghanistan. In the midst of all this, a terror attack claimed the lives of more than a dozen U.S. troops. There are still people, allies of the United States, who had been helping us the entire time we were there, still stuck in Afghanistan. The Biden administration impeded the efforts of groups that wanted to go in and help evacuate those who were trapped behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. We are here a year later after being told that Afghanistan would not fall to the Taliban. It did. We were told that the Taliban would not allow Al-Qaeda back in. And here is their leader residing in a rich house in the capital. In the time since Afghanistan has fallen, the Taliban has re 
asserted itself in favor of violating human rights, of denying girls the chance to go to school, of forcing all sorts of inhumane practices, so inhumane social practices on women and children in Afghanistan. The country fell. Now, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a I'm not a, a war hawk. I'm not a neocon in that regard. I don't think we should be in Afghanistan. But the utter collapse of the country, the chaos that resulted from our uh, from poorly planned out withdrawal has led us to where we are now. And we should celebrate the death of somebody who very clearly is not interested in the future and success of America, the organization that wants to see America destroyed. We should celebrate that death. But why is Al-Qaeda residing in the capital of Afghanistan? 232-1542. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, shift to state politics. The advocate is shilling for John Kennedy's opponents and not paying attention to the issues at hand. We'll have all that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in, be part of the program. Before I move on, I cannot help but uh, be reminded that uh, the real hero in this story is the R-9X Hellfire drone missile that was used to take out Ayman al-Zawari. This is American achievement at its finest. The Hellfire missile does not explode, thereby causing civilian death. Instead, this missile has retractable death blades that come out. Do you remember the slap chop? Have you seen that? It's that little sal- it's that little salad chopping thing you could buy for your kitchen. You just put the lettuce and the vegetables in there and you just hit the thing and the blades twirl around and and chop up. That's essentially what this is, a flying slap chop that uh, di- slices and dices enemies of our military. So thank God we have a more humane drone missile to fire at our enemies. Anyway, 232-1542, if you want to call and be part of the program. So I, I, I want to jump to this. Uh, this is, I haven't made fun of The Advocate in a while, and I need to because this is just a silly story. Now, it is, it is newsworthy that uh, John Kennedy's opponents want to criticize something that he voted on or didn't vote on. What's silly about this story by Tyler Bridges is... The, the, the story itself is the response from his opponents. It's not the actual bill itself. Uh, it's, it's somewhat about Kennedy's vote and his response as to why he voted against the CHIPS Act. But the bulk, two-thirds of the story, the bulk of the story, is focused entirely on what his opponents said. All three of his Democratic opponents. Now, in the show notes on kpl965.com, I only mentioned the two major ones, Luke Mixon and Gary Chambers, because I can't even remember the name of the third one, and that's not going to be a person who gets a single percentage point, I think, in the vote. 
But here are the uh, comments. First, from Gary Chambers. The CHIPS Act gave Senator Kennedy an opportunity to side with China or the American people on national security jobs and the spiraling costs of necessities like the family car. Kennedy picked China. My opponent said no to this bipartisan investment in domestic chip manufacturing that will lower the cost of goods for hardworking Americans, create thousands of manufacturing jobs here in the U.S., and strengthen America's position as a leader in technological advancement. That's no surprise. That's Gary Chambers. Here's Luke Mixon. Senator Kennedy talks a lot, but he doesn't get anything done. He had the opportunity to lower costs for Louisiana families, create good American jobs, lessen our dependence upon foreign countries, and strengthen our national security. But once again, he chose party politics over the good of our state and our nation. I would have proudly joined Senator Cassidy in voting to pass the chips. Wait, 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 hold on. Uh, let's see. Once again, he chose party politics over the good of our state. He chose party politics. It was a bipartisan act. A lot of Republicans voted on the CHIPS Act. It passed with Republican support. It overcame the filibuster. So Luke Mixon's inherently wrong. They're saying that this is some party thing. No, John Kennedy voted against the CHIPS Act because of the cost. Originally, the bill was only going to cost $76 billion, already a good bit higher than it should have been. But they reworked the bill and now it's going to cost $250 billion. And they say that this is all to help the U.S. compete against China, except it does nothing of the sort. If you believe the key to being competitive against China is more government bureaucracy and giving them more money to regulate things, then yeah, maybe you're right. But that's not actually how the real world works. See, I mentioned this Yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Maybe it was Friday. But the United States is currently heading to or in a recession, depending on who you talk to. If you talk to the Biden administration, we're not heading to one at all, and, and you're, you're, uh, you're crazy for thinking so. But most people believe that we are either in or very quickly heading to a recession, do you know what you don't do in a recession? You don't raise taxes. And that's what the CHIPS Act is part of. The CHIPS Act is actually part of a tax scheme by the Democrats. See, here's what's happening. All of this money is being handed out as subsidies to American chip manufacturers who will then turn around and be taxed heavily under the really just gutsy named Inflation Reduction Act partnered, uh, you know, authored and partnered by Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin. The CHIPS Act gives out a bunch of money to American companies, but doesn't make us any more competitive against China. Do you know why? Because in order to make some of these chips, we still have to buy the materials from China. It also comes at a time when the cost of the cars at Gary Chambers and, and everybody was complaining about the cost of cars is already coming down. And the chip shortage is actually coming to a close. It's getting, it's easing a bit here in the country. But, but, but. John Kennedy voted against it. 
his opponents would have voted for it. Tyler Bridges has to write the story about how John Kennedy was wrong and his opponents are right. But Bridges isn't actually going to address the bill, what the bill does, how much it's going to cost, and why Republicans were against it. He just wants you to operate under the assumption that those Republicans are wrong and these guys are right. He is giving them free press. Why buy ads when you can just ask Tyler Bridges to run a story about what you're responding to as an article in The Advocate? The Democrats are getting all this extra help from the media here in the state and nationally. And yet it's going to do nothing because Gary Chambers, Luke Mixon, whoever the other person is, they're not going to win. They're not even going to get into a runoff with Kennedy. 232-1542. When we come back, the most infuriating story of the day. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232 1542, if you want to call in, be part of the show. Um, this is probably the most infuriating story of the, of the day. It is not getting a whole lot of coverage, and that's primarily because of the source. In an exclusive, the New York Post has some of the information from the upcoming memoir of Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's son-in-law. And there's one particular claim in this, uh, in this memoir that should be fueling a lot of outrage, but it won't. The media will largely overlook it. Uh, I actually, you know, saw Jake Tapper tweet the story out, and he's about the only one that I've seen sort of push this story. On March 15th, in a call with Jared Kushner and others, as Kushner was part of the task force uh, that was that was assembled by Trump to combat the coronavirus, uh, Andrew Cuomo told Kushner that for nursing homes, this could be like a fire through dry grass. And that was March 15th. Andrew Cuomo said that. On March 25th, Cuomo signed a New York governor's executive order that said nursing homes weren't allowed to turn away patients solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. This should infuriate anyone who paid attention to what Cuomo did to the state of New York and to the families of thousands. Cuomo, by forcing nursing homes to take COVID-suspected or COVID-positive patients, put the lives of thousands of New York's most vulnerable citizens at risk. And then his administration lied and fudged the numbers so people wouldn't know how bad the devastation in New York nursing homes really was. Like a fire through dry grass. That's how Cuomo, 10 days before he signed his executive order, described 
What would happen to nursing homes if COVID was introduced? And that is exactly what happened. Tens of thousands dead. We'll never probably fully know those who died from COVID-19 in New York nursing homes. We have some numbers, we suspect, but the Cuomo administration lied and covered up. That nursing home policy remained in effect until May 10th. The whole point of it was to ease hospital crowding. But you took people with a highly contagious and at that point still dangerous virus and put them into nursing homes with other immunocompromised, sickly, not entirely healthy people, the most vulnerable people in our country. And you let the wildfire burn through the dry grass that was New York nursing homes. Everyone could see what was coming from miles away. And the Cuomo administration did nothing. In Florida, you had Ron DeSantis send a task force to nursing homes to identify people who were symptomatic and pull them out of nursing homes and saved lives that way. Cuomo forced nursing homes to take COVID positive patients. Despite the horror stories that were being told and the few stories that the media did report about it, there's a whole media industry that largely ignored the story. Why? Because Cuomo was criticizing Trump. Cuomo was casting himself as the leader America needed. And there was open speculation in the media that this is presidential. This could be somebody who runs against Trump in 2020. They largely ignored the story of the nursing homes in order to promote Andrew Cuomo. They did nothing as Chris Cuomo, one of their own, brought his brother onto his show and gave him softball interviews covering up the fact that elderly residents were dying in nursing homes because he forced the nursing homes to take COVID positive patients back. What did we learn from this leadership that the media says he was showing throughout the pandemic? That everything he did was wrong. He eventually resigned office. Was it for this? No. It was for sexual harassment and sexual assault. And I'm not saying that's not bad because it is the opinion of this radio show host that sexual harassment and assault is bad. And you should resign from office if you are found guilty of it. But that should have been the icing on the cake. And the cake itself should have been tens of thousands dead from his policies and then his administration lying to cover up the numbers. He was never made to answer and never will be made to answer for this scandal. He's even planning a political comeback. He wants to run for governor again in the future. He wants to be active in New York politics and the media will welcome him and New York Democrats will welcome him.
There is something extremely perverse about the fact that he was never held responsible for this scandal. It is, like I said, the most infuriating story today and nobody is talking about it. He was allowed to continue to operate as the governor, even as we knew this was going on, and he was never held to account. The media that tells you democracy dies in darkness and that tells you they want to hold truth to power never once, never once challenged him on this. It wasn't until some women stepped forward and complained about his behavior toward him that the media cared about anything negative. Andrew Cuomo did. And the nursing home scandal became a side plot. And the main plot was his treatment of women in his inner circles. It was only after the media darling that is the hashtag MeToo movement came for Andrew Cuomo that they cared about his scandals. And they did not give this scandal, the more important of the two, the time of day. There are thousands of New York families who are affected by his policies during this pandemic. They will never, never receive any sort of justice for this. And the media, which prides itself on how well it challenged Donald Trump and how well it challenges Republicans, will say nothing about this. Just like they're saying nothing about how Biden's policies led to to Al-Qaeda returning to Afghanistan and getting prominent housing in the Capitol. So please at no point try to tell me that the media is unbiased. They should be. The media should be objective. They should be unbiased. They should be reporting on things as they happen. They should be reporting the facts. Everything that happens, either cover everything or cover nothing at all and get out of the business. But they get to cherry pick what they like and what they don't like. And what they like is Democrats and what they don't like is Republicans. And 12 times out of 10, they will pursue the negative story about a Republican and ignore the negative story about a Democrat. They learned their lesson from Afghanistan the first time. Don't criticize Biden. He'll cut you off. Now they're not saying anything about how his policies have led Afghanistan, not just to falling to the Taliban, but actually allowing Al Qaeda to start forming a presence there again. And those two will skip down the street hand in hand as they plot what to do to America next. And Andrew Cuomo will be allowed to make some sort of political comeback in New York. And all of this will happen because the media does not actually hold truth to power. They do not actually hold uh, the powerful to account. They have picked a side and they will always choose that side over the truth. I don't care if you report negatively on Republicans. Some of them actually do need to be reported negatively on. But when you do it at the expense of the negative stories about Democrats, of which there are many that have gone uncovered and undercovered and will never truly be covered. This was one of the worst. Let's go ahead and take a break. 232-1542 if you want to call and be part of the program. When we come back, dozens of lives saved because Joe Biden has picked a monkeypox czar. That and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show when we return on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Now, before we get out of here for the day, uh, good news from the Biden administration. Um, the the monkeypox virus has met its match. 14,000 infections across the world, five deaths, maybe up to six or seven now. I think India recently announced they had their first monkeypox death. But Joe Biden, who in the 2020 campaign criticized Donald Trump on his slow response to COVID-19, he's kicked his administration into gear and he has decided to fight monkeypox by naming a czar. Instantly, the Democrats talk an awful lot about saving democracy, and a czar is a very undemocratic position. But anyway, in the face of the worst global pandemic since COVID-19, Joe Biden has named a monkeypox czar. It is Robert Fenton. He is a regional director for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. Robert Fenton, who was an integral, an integral part of the fight against COVID-19, will now be heading up the Biden administration's response to monkeypox. The World Health Organization declared monkeypox a global health emergency. Their le- the leader of the World Health Organization announced that, despite the fact that their own panel that votes on these things said it was not a global health emergency. But anyway... Anyway, here is uh, here are some statements on Robert Fenton. We simply wouldn't be where we are today in the nation's fight against COVID-19 without the expertise and leadership of Bob Fenton, said Jeff Zients, the former White House coronavirus response coordinator. He became an indispensable leader in the world in the whole of government response, contributing to a historic nationwide vaccination program under Donald Trump. The White House also plans to name Dimitri Daskalakis. I think that's how you pronounce it. A senior official of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention as a top deputy for Fenton. Daskalakis, which is just a fun word to say. A physician who previously served as the New York City health official had helped lead the city. Wait, was he the New York City health official that was there while New York City was in utter collapse from COVID-19? I... I hope not. Help lead the CDC's HIV AIDS work and has become involved in the federal response to monkeypox. He once pro- he was once profiled by the Atlantic magazine as New York City's gay health warrior. Wait, wait, hold on. We've been told by the left that there's really no tie between gay men and monkeypox, despite the fact that the biggest outbreaks of monkeypox have been from men who had the disease and then went to gay orgies overseas and then traveled back home and started spreading it from there. Strange. Strange. The monkeypox virus outbreaks have originated from symptomatic men who have participated in sex with other men at orgies and other public gatherings. It has spread to thousands worldwide. As of mid to late July, five were dead. India has recently claimed there is one dead from monkeypox there. 
had he waited much longer, he would have been called out for his hypocrisy on waiting, just like he called out Donald Trump for waiting in his response to COVID-19. But thankfully, Donald Trump, I'm sorry, Joe Biden, in naming a czar, in naming a federal official who will create an advisory board and look at news reports and studies, dozens will be saved. Hooray for the United States. This is really where we are. The monkeypox outbreak. There is a simple solution, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying the simple solution. We were told two weeks to stop the virus if we just wore masks and socially distance ourselves. We didn't really follow those rules very well, but the government threatened to come after us if we did. If we didn't. Could you not say, could you not say, hey, uh, maybe two weeks, no, no orgies. How about that? Till we get this thing behind us. Could we do that? Just want to throw that idea out there. A friend of mine had that idea. I just wanted to borrow that idea from him and throw it out there. Could we just say two weeks to stop the spread, no orgies? Could that be the case? I don't know. But the bigger problem here is it's a health scare. It's a health scare where there doesn't need to be one. It's very clear how you get monkeypox. It is skin-to-skin contact. If you do not, or I mean, if you do have the symptoms, don't touch anybody. And definitely don't go to an orgy. But don't touch anybody. Just avoid contact until the disease goes away. It's not like coronavirus where you're, uh, you, you're infectious before you know you have it. Monkeypox is very easy to tell when you have it. And you're infectious only by the skin-on-skin contact. Why is this a global health emergency? This is a strange panic. All because we're still in panic mode from COVID-19. And we're not learning our lesson. All right, 23 hours until the Joe Cunningham Show is back. In the meantime, Offside's coming up next. I'll be joining Shannon, talking about the topics of the day there. Follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And you can always listen to the podcast version of the show. Talk to you guys again real soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.